The first thing you learn as a designer or, or just as a creative in general is never fall in love with your own work yeah. because then you have egos and then you bring in like all this shit like and you you really don't you can't have that when you're working with clients mm-hmm. and you're working with people above you and, um, and it's you can't just take things personal never right? take that's it's like I mean that's, that's a rule for life I never yeah. take anything personally sure. you know? My guest on this episode of Well Fed is motion graphics director Magnus Adam, who currently works at the creative studio Elephant based in Brooklyn. His work has been featured on sites like The Art of the Title and Stash Media, and whose work has also garnered awards from The Type Directors Club, The One Club, DNAD, Clio's, and Promax BDA. So, Magnus, thank you so much for joining me today and taking the time to chat with me. Thanks so much for having me. So it's been a while since we, you know, obviously have seen each other. We first met at Viceland when the channel just launched and you have been doing a lot of work since then. You have been doing a lot of awesome projects and, you know, a lot of things are kind of in the works currently. And I'm super excited to chat with you about that. As the season's coming to an end for the the first season of Well Fed, I kind of chat to my guests about their backgrounds, and a lot of them have usually some kind of mentor or role model in their kind of like childhood that somewhat influences or encourages their creativity. And I'm curious if if there was someone in your life when you first started off that um, might have influenced you a little bit. Oh, for sure. Definitely, hands down, shout outs to my dad. Yeah. Because... My dad's an artist and growing up, I actually, all I cared about was like video games and Yu-Gi-Oh cards and Pokemon cards and Saturday morning cartoons. And so he was always like pushing me. He didn't even give me a choice really. He was like, you have to go and do a painting, like go pick your subject matter. I don't care what it is. And it, it was like a lot. It was like at least like three times a week, he'd be like, go go and paint something, go and draw something. And so it, I kind of saw it as a chore growing up. And I was like, you know, whenever uh, your parents tell you to do anything, you're like, ugh, I hate it. There's always like frustration and you give them shit for it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But when I did do it, I was like, you'd totally get into it. Like as a little kid, I was like getting into like that flow state at like, you know, eight years old, nine years old, just painting and drawing. And it wasn't until later on when I was applying for, you know, art high school and uh, art middle school and then art college and even some like art um, programs at like Cooper Union that I realized, holy shit, the portfolio that I had built because my dad had just made me do so much painting and drawing at home was like so much better than a lot of the other kids. And so it wasn't until later on that I was like, oh, wow, thank you so much. For, <laughs> is, like, is your dad a painter? Well, he's he's kind of like a mixed media artist. Actually, it's funny because he's, uh, he's a jeweler and he also makes like sculptures and he, he takes a lot of like inspiration from like nature and stuff like that. And, you know, he's been doing that like basically all his life. But he's been sitting on like all this jewelry and like all this work for the longest time. And I got to the point where I was just kind of like getting frustrated seeing him just sitting on top of a lot of this stuff. And actually this last winter, I was like, okay, we're gonna do something about this. And so I, as a Christmas present, actually, I, I created a website I created like a branding for him, like all the logo and like all this stuff, took the photo. I'm not even a photographer, but I was like, you know, I'm just going to take this with my camera phone. And then later on, my sister, who is a photographer, she was like, we could do this better. (laughs) And so she, she took photos, like really professional photos. And so it's been like a little bit of like this family collab and I, I'm hoping it launches like the website and the company like launches either in late spring or early summer. And yeah, so that's that's basically 
I guess the business I'm trying to push him into. <laughs> sure. And he's been kind of, so he's been making jewelry and has just like, as you said, has just been kind of keeping it to himself. Yeah. So. He just, he's kind of like an art hoarder. <laughs> he just like, he, of his own stuff, of his own stuff. Yeah. <laughs> he just, he will make so much stuff and then like just show either me or, you know, my girlfriend or he'll show like my, my siblings. And then like, he has crazy ideas about them. Like he always comes at every piece with this crazy cool, like, idea like really he's like probably the most artist person i know where he like draws inspiration from everything from like nature to poems to literature to like science fiction to politics Mm -hmm. to just anything that inspires him and then he like creates these little pieces of jewelry that or embody like a little poem or something and inspired by yeah whatever he was kind of looking at at that time yeah you mentioned you have a sister yeah and she's a photographer yeah. is she older or younger she's younger than me she's younger yeah. than yeah she graduated we both went to parsons okay uh, the new school of design in new york but she graduated a couple years after me as you know as the older brother were you guys ever like working on different projects or you know were you working on a painting and was she also kind of in the creative space or or exploring that as as a kid you know not really um I know my dad pushed me a lot to be an artist Mm -hmm. and my sister has always been you know creatively inclined and you know she's always been super fashionable and you know she's obviously she's very beautiful and you know, I she I think she also wants to like break into like modeling a bit, but it wasn't until college when she really took up photography mm-hmm. and she really found that she really loved, you know, everything photography related. Yeah, you you went to school at Parsons. Um, leading up to that, you had mentioned that your dad had always pushed you to do you know drawing and painting. Was that was that kind of like your portfolio going into the school? Like, did you have a lot of that work? Totally. Um, actually, I think I used like the same portfolio or almost the same portfolio to get into high school that I did to get into college. <laughs> I mean, with some updated stuff. But yeah, I, I think I had just been like sitting on a lot of artwork and I went into art high school and I had like a good mixed media of stuff like printmaking. And at the time, I didn't even know I wanted to do animation, but I had a teacher who was teaching like uh, computer arts, I think Mm -hmm. was the class. And I discovered Flash like on my own, like no one else in the class knew about Flash. I was just like, oh, what is this program? Like that's not Photoshop and Illustrator. And I saw that you can make things move in it. And so I was like, I got enamored with like animation. So I I think that was like the start of my animation career. So what year was that? Was like sophomore, junior? Or is that even freshman year? Of high school? No. No, no, no. So the whole Flash thing was that, that was going like into college? senior year of high school. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So you were like straight up painting and drawing and things like that. Yeah. No, I was pretty much a fine artist just doing fun. Actually, I've kind of done, I've gone through a lot of like career things that I thought would be my career mm-hmm. um, paths. In, uh, when I was graduating, I actually thought I was going to be an architect because, oh, okay. because growing up, I think a lot of kids in art high school, not a lot of them are introduced to commercial arts or graphic design or animation. And so when you're growing up, you kind of see that you have two choices, right? You have, you can be like one of these starving artists Mm -hmm. who makes like cool work, but is like poor as shit, like all the time. And like, and it's really hard and competitive. Or you can go into something a lot more traditional and is more like rigid, which is like architecture. Yeah, or something, something that has right? more like a financial background behind it. Yeah, more kind of monetary exchange, which is always the struggle, right? Like, yeah, I've had guests before that have hit that point as well, like in their in school and in college, where you kind of have to make that decision because it's really scary growing up. You know, your parents are always so worried about you, and they're and obviously they're really compassionate and love you, and they do it for all the right reasons. But as a kid, it's like you do this because you love it and then there's slowly like realities creeping in and it's like oh well that doesn't necessarily transfer to dollars that's like super kind of um disheartening a little bit well it's it's funny because i feel like my childhood was the actually the complete opposite of Mm -hmm. a lot of people because i grew up i didn't even think i wanted to do art i didn't really push myself to do it that much my parents pushed me to do it and my dad, he's always said, you know, like, I've always wanted you to be an artist, you know, like, that's a lot of 
people I talk to, a lot of kids are like, my parents really want me to be a doctor or my parents really want me to be a lawyer. Um, my dad really wanted me to be an artist. And so his whole philosophy was, you know, you find something that you love to do. You find something that you're pretty good at and then find a way for you to get paid doing those things. Mm -hmm. And if you could do that, then you're going to have a happy life. And so I'm glad that he was able to introduce me to art because later on I was able, actually I, I became more passionate about it when I graduated and I, when I graduated high school and I got into college and I found my calling in animation. I think and there's like a fiber that runs, you know, that some people kind of, that runs through being a creative where you just continue to do the things you love and you just have this drive to not necessarily let go sometimes right and if you do that's fine like you know maybe it's just that point where you have a change in, in mindset and you actually don't you realize you don't may not enjoy it as much and you may actually like this other thing but what your dad had mentioned you find a way to do the things that you love and find some kind of group or audience that will enjoy it as well and they'll eventually kind of reward you in some way totally yeah i think animation was the first medium which I jumped into and when I was started making stuff everybody in my class and my teachers would be like wow like this is great what made you switch like what was the kind of the thing that like raised your eyebrow because you were painting and then Mm -hmm. like you said you stumbled into the program of flash what kept you coming back for it so I really discovered animation as a real medium in college and it was about sophomore year and I had a friend um, shout outs to Ray Masaki, who was a super creative, like super talented dude. And he was kind of a jack of all trades where at by like freshman, sophomore year of college, he had already like created like a, a clothing brand and he was already dabbling in animation, like just by himself. And he was just like one of my best friends. And I saw him doing that stuff and I was just super inspired by like him and also some of my other peers. And I was like, oh, I want to do that. That looks fun. And I just remember doing animation. Like I took an After Effects class, like one-on-one After Effects. And I was like, holy shit, you can like make all your paintings move. And like you can like all your illustrations, like you can bring them to life. And I don't know. There was just like something magical about that. I It was the first time I was willing to put like just all-nighters like in a row and like not even think about it. I was like, I'm enjoying this so much. This is fun. Like I want to just, and this is even before I realized you can even make money mm-hmm. at that stuff. And yeah, you just do that and you're like, you put all your love and work into something. And then when teachers and peers and co- colleagues, they see that stuff and they are like, holy shit, how did you make that? Like, there's something special. Mm-hmm. There. It's like that positive reaction kind of yeah. gives you that inkling of like, oh, okay, so people are enjoying this. Like, yeah. I should maybe like continue to do it, continue to see how far I can push it. Totally. And it's like a snowball effect where it's like the more you do it, the more you, you, you know, acc- accolades and, you know, uh, you know, pure, um, you know, reinforcement. reinforcement. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. it's interesting because, you know, you already had like this background in painting, right? So you're already able to visualize what you're looking at, study and, and observe kind of like objects and depict them in a way. You know, I'm, I haven't seen any of your earlier paintings, but you have that kind of that vision, right? The way of looking and seeing things. And then you kind of just amplified it by taking those paintings and, like you said, and and animating them, you know, taking that next step of actually bringing some life to them in a sense. What was the program like at Parsons? You know, you started really learning how to animate and things like that. Like, did you have teachers pushing you in a a direction? You know, what was that? I mean, I went to a traditional design school and they didn't even have an animation program. So I never got to see like any projects that other students were working on. But, you know, what was what was life like there? So for me, I don't think I had a traditional path. I actually went into Parsons into their design and technology program. And at the time when I was going in, I think they had just created that program a year before and it was very experimental. And so I think I think there were like maybe 30 kids in my in my class in you know that whole section and so all of them kind of had different ideas of what they wanted to do like some of them wanted to go into coding some of them wanted to go into web design some of them wanted to go into experiential artwork and like experiential work in general and then 
some of them wanted to go into film. And so it was very broad. And I saw that you can take like basically anything. They wouldn't stop you as long as you took like, you know, your liberal arts classes, you got your liberal arts credits done. You can basically create your own path. And so when I discovered animation sophomore year, I was like, After Effects, I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. Like, this is it. And so I just wanted to learn everything there was to know about animation. So I was like, okay, so I know After Effects, like that's like the fundamentals. And then I I took like a CG class and then I took a CG modeling class and a CG lighting class and an animation, a 2D cell animation class. I took stop motion. I just, I, I wanted to like learn everything you could learn about animation. And I even went so far as to like take a sound design class because I was like, I like just working by myself. I mm-hmm. like collaborating, but like I'm just, I have trust issues a lot of times. Sure. So like. I mean, it's like every every creative at some point when they're first starting off wants to learn and make as much as possible yeah. on their own because yeah. you, you don't have, you, you know, you're young and you don't really, you haven't made those connections yet where you can trust someone because you realize that they're like, they're either really good or they're a lot better than you. Mm-hmm. So you kind of just take all the work on yourself. Definitely, definitely. And I think later on I realized I was like, okay, it's impossible to do everything <laughs> yourself. Like you can't just, you can't do the sound design and the art direction totally. and the cell animation and the CG. You know, it's like you can, but you're going to burn out like mm-hmm. super quick. And so actually I think working at Vice really taught me that, you know, you can have a bunch of people from different backgrounds, like working with Annie over there who was, you know, amazing art director. And she, she was so good at like, just traditional design, like typography mm-hmm. and layout design. And I, I didn't really have that classic design background. I mm-hmm. came from animation, um, learning how to just make things move. <laughs> and so to me, like typography was like, what? This is crazy. <laughs> like, how do you do this? Sure. Um, and then, you know, like having someone like Matt, who is like just really good at like storytelling and creative direction and someone like Gabriel, who's like a jack of all trades. And, you know, you, you have all these different people coming in who are really good at their specific thing. And then we had sound designers, obviously, mm-hmm. um, who are really good at sound design. And the end product being like a really cool piece that you just couldn't make on your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before we get into the, the work at, you know, where we met and the work that you did at Viceland and Vice, I kind of want to get to some of the, the earlier uh, gigs that you had. So you graduated Parsons. And then as I looked on your experience, you freelanced a lot. Mm-hmm. You started off at, uh, what was the first studio? Something Cinema Darling? Or? Omega Darling. Omega Darling. Oh God, um, as the lead animator there. What was the work that you were doing? What was the studio doing? So that was that was a really good jump to my career, I think, because I actually... I was taking classes under Zach Shuken, who was who ran that company, and he was the he was one of the CG teachers at Parsons, and I actually he was a really good mentor as well. I had come into the class like pretty far behind a lot of the other students. A lot of the other students were like really advanced and were really like just way way farther along in their CG, you know careers than I was and so I came in not knowing anything and he was he took it upon himself to be like hey like if you really want to catch up come to my studio Omega Darling and you know we can work on some of this stuff on the side and I can show you some animation stuff and so like I spent a lot of time like in between classes especially in the beginning just and he was teaching me just like one-on-one and so he he saw that I was really passionate about it and he saw that like I had a drive for it and I was just like really hungry to learn everything mm-hmm. that after the class was over he was like hey do you want to intern for my company and this was about junior year uh, beginning of senior year and I was like yeah sure like I need an internship at this point like sure, I'm yeah. going to be graduating <clears throat> soon and so I interned there for a year and then right upon graduating he was like he didn't even give me a chance to like look at other studios because he I think he saw he's like oh shit like this guy's going to be like other studios are going to like want to hire him. And so like it was graduation day. I was like um, going through the ceremony. I look at my phone and he was like, hey, uh, I want to offer you a full time job (laughs) (laughs) at my studio. And I was like, cool. Yeah, let's do it. I already love everybody there. So it was it just felt like a very natural 
progression. Having that internship already, like you said, established that relationship with everyone and you kind of had already been gelling. Yeah. What were the projects that you guys, you know, what was the focus of the studio? So it was a lot of different things in the beginning. We had one project that we did for the Smithsonian Museum in D.C., where they wanted to create a bunch of motion graphics to go along with um, one of the exhibits, I guess, on, what was it, on DNA? And so it was like all the, I'm not a DNA person at all. I totally like, forgot all of that Like stuff. the ladder of DNA. Yeah, 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 you know, the four letters and yeah. the chromosomes and all that stuff. And so like that was one project. And then we had another project, which was for another educational program. I forget what the name of the uh, company was but they wanted to basically show how like the digestive system worked but they were really open to being like really creative so they were cool with us doing like all this cool stop motion and mm-hmm. you know that we had built a bunch of sets just with cardboard and like paper and paper mache and cardboard cutouts and then we photographed all that stuff and you know brought it to life in, in cg and 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 motion graphics so that was really fun creative opportunity we had this one job, it was for a music video for Kanye West's, uh, I think it was Mercy. Um, That's dope. Yeah, I mean, it was very stressful. <laughs> no was, big deal, just a Kanye video. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it was it was very stressful because it was like very tight turnaround time. And it's. I think the clients were a little difficult to work with. Sure. Um, if, you know, Kanye's Twitter feed now or, you know, Kanye, oh, in the, God, yeah. imagine a few years ago. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was. It was definitely crazy Kanye. It was qu- crazy Kanye um, moments. But yeah, so what? Oh, yeah, it was just funny because like it was so stressful for him because he was trying to like keep the company running and that was a huge money thing for him. So he really didn't want to lose that. So I think he like he aged a little bit. Like I think he <laughs> a grew few like gray hairs. Yeah, he grew a lot of gray hairs. Straight <laughs> up. It was actually funny because like later on, uh, we went to his wedding and like, it was like this traditional Jewish wedding and we snuck in Mercy onto the onto the playlist and he we all were like looking at him and I think he all he had like almost like a full blown like panic attack like <laughs> listening to the song again because he was like calling up like those old memories bringing and, back some yeah. bad memories but now it's fun because we could talk about it you so, were yeah. there about more you were there almost what two years it was a while I think it was about three years oh yeah, shit including I interned there for a year, and mm-hmm. then I had uh, worked there for two years after I graduated. You, after that, you went on to freelance for like a bunch of you know big big name design agencies. You know, Wolf Olin, Siegel and Gale. Mm-hmm. What made you kind of make that choice to go freelance? You know, was that just like naturally? Was it like intentional? Because I know that's a big thing that a lot of designers, creatives struggle with, right? It's like you take the full-time security kind of position or do you take that leap of faith and put yourself out there and try to like really become your sole, you know, you're the sole proprietor. Like you have to go out and get the jobs. Totally. No, it was really scary. Actually what had happened was the company was going under and I had always thought about freelancing because at the time work was starting to dry up and Mm -hmm. we weren't, there was no new clients coming into the company. And, you know, I felt like I was kind of just sitting on my hands, like maybe 70, 80% of the time. And so finally I get back and after all this, like thinking about like, I get back from a trip from Japan and all this thinking about going freelance, my boss calls me and he's like, hey, I have to let you go because we can't afford mm. to keep the doors open anymore. And I had mixed feelings. A, I was like, awesome, because sure, I was yeah. like, I just wanted to do it for so long. And it's just, I was so scared to just like leave because it's such a huge jump. So it was such a good, like, it was almost like the baby, the mother bird pushing sure. the baby bird out of the nest. And it's like, all right, spread your wings and fly. <laughs> and if you hit the ground, well, so it was meant to be. but. You know, I I left, I flew out of the nest and I, luckily I had some really good friends from college who had, they were doing motion graphics as well. And one of them was working at Wolf Owens and one of them was, uh, had done a job for Siegel and Gale. And yeah, I I had enough connections that I was getting like a good amount of like steady freelance work right after that i feel like just from my experience with you know the motion 
designers, yourself, Mika, um, Taylor, you know, at, at Vice, it's like the, the motion community is, is really close. And um, that kind of is a testament to, you know, making the friends in school who are also in that same, you know, in your classes that are, hey, you know, I had this freelance opportunity, you know, maybe you should look here and things mm-hmm. like that. I saw you, you were doing kind of like month to month projects, things like that during your freelance time is that stressful you know like what's your mindset during that you know like are you going through and worrying about the next gig or is it really just like are you owning that and just taking one project at a time and and really thinking about it definitely a little bit of both Mm. um i mean as anybody who's like started freelancing will tell you it's very feast or famine Mm -hmm. i remember when i first started freelancing i was doing a job for this architecture firm diller scofidio and renfro and it was like very long nights. So I was like, I was, and I was charging overtime. So I was making like a lot of money, like hands, like just a lot of money was coming in. I just didn't even know what to do with all. I remember making so much that I was like, shit, I'm going to buy myself like an expensive coat that I don't need and expensive shoes. And of course I'm not saving anything for taxes. And then taxes come around. I'm not around. saving any of it for taxes. Of course. I've made that same mistake where you, you have, you know, you're freelancing and you're like, wow, this is a lot of money. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And just to to preface or to to kind of a lot of money as a designer right it's, yeah it's, like, it's just like as a young kid you are not used to seeing a paycheck exactly. that is like you know somewhat big and then because you don't have that mind of like oh i gotta pay taxes at the end of the month mm-hmm. and i've gotten screwed like yeah. i've had to pay back a lot of stuff so oh yeah, yeah. you know it's not like we're making it like bags of cash yeah. but you know as a creative especially at a school you kind of you know you're not exposed to that yeah and then you learn very quickly that like oh it's not actually a lot of money because i have to give a big ass chunk back sure no i definitely i didn't grow up like with a lot of money at all and so i think when you come into that and suddenly you're just like earning it yourself you just you're like holy shit like this is crazy you get excited your eyes get big I I understand why like the rappers why go bankrupt (laughs) yeah well they like you see them like spending like $30,000 on a chain and like you know $70,000 $100,000 like on a car that they like on their fifth car and I'm like oh I get that like I, I get why you would like all of a sudden want to like splurge like that I think I've gotten to the age now where I'm just like Okay, like I feel more comfortable. I would rather put my money into savings mm-hmm. and have that feeling of safety and security net. That longevity. That longevity. So, because going back to what you're saying, like what I was saying about feast or famine, there were definitely moments when like, yeah, you're like making a lot of money, but there were moments when you just like have no money. Mm-hmm. And I was like... You have those kind of drier, you know, yeah. like periods of... You just got out of a gig. Yeah. You take a week, and then that week turns into two, three, four weeks, and you're just like, uh. Yeah. No. I think I there was a point when I went through like two and a half months of not working, and it was so scary. I was like, I it was hard for me to pay rent. I was paying rent late, and there was definitely points where I'm like, I guess I'm just having dollar slice pizza like again <laughs> tonight because I that's what all I can afford. Totally. Um. So it's nice when you get to like a full time. <laughs> And you're like, all right, that is more even. Do you, do you do anything to, you know, in those dry moments, right? Like in between gigs, do you do anything to attract more businesses? Or like, you know, are you doing self-initiated projects and stuff like that? Or, or are you going to networking events? I think those are a lot of things that people may not think about in between the gigs. It's like, if you don't have something lined up immediately, how do you drive up that business in, in a way? Totally. I mean... There's only so much reaching out to clients that you can do, mm-hmm. right? Like after a while, if you're not hearing anything, it's like it's not you. It could be, th- it could be a dry season for the industry or whatever. And so you have to recognize when you have those dry periods. You can't just sit on your ass and watch TV. You know, you can't just play video games. You can't just like chill out and like hope that it's gonna come. You have to actually work for it. And I spent a lot of that time really getting into personal artwork and personal animations. You know, I, I started uh, a one-a-day series. I was on that bandwagon for a while. And I think everyone, every kind of designer creative goes through that. It's like, yeah. uh, okay, you're either like in a creative rut or yeah. like you're in between jobs. And yeah. it's like, how do you kind of keep that creative, that, that kind of fire burning, that candle lit, so you just don't like get stuck into your couch watching Netflix? Totally, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, yeah, personal projects really help because... 
I I started realizing like the jobs that I was getting, it just wasn't really interesting. It was very commercial work. It was very like dry, like not very creative. And I was like, I'm better than this. I can, I can, I want to get hired to do, you know, sell animation and I want to get hired to do design and illustration. And so when you do those personal projects, you're doing exactly what you want to do. And I think Instagram has been actually really great for it. I have a, I have a love-hate relationship with Instagram. <laughs> I just, I had deleted it off my phone for like a couple of weeks and I just installed it again today <laughs> um, to post some stuff. But, you know, posting that stuff, you're you're getting your name out there. You're getting, uh, people are seeing your stuff. And actually I, I had a couple clients reach out to me through Instagram just because I had posted like some personal cell animation stuff um, there. And it was actually Atlantic Records. They had seen something I'd done there and were like, hey, like we really like your stuff. Do you want to do some uh, animations for a little Uzi Vert? Um, and I was I like, remember that project. Yeah. And I was like, cool. Like, this is probably the best thing I've gotten from Instagram. Like, mm-hmm. who would have thought? In a way, it's like a, it's like a secondary portfolio, right? Not so much the one that you're sending directly to people, but it's very mm-hmm. much like to get more eyes on your work and get more eyes on the projects that you're working on. Honestly, I tell people that it's Instagram, your social media is just as important mm-hmm. as your, yeah, like your portfolio, your online website that's the stuff that recruiters um, and that's the stuff that, you know, if you're hiring art directors, creative directors, we're looking at that stuff and we're sifting through it to see like your real and your, your, your overall portfolio. And we want to see that stuff, but your Instagram is just as important because as shitty as it is, having like followers like is kind of validating and if you're working with like random clients, they are more willing to take a chance on you if you have a couple thousand followers, mm-hmm. right? And rather than someone who has like, you know, 30 followers, like on Instagram, as shitty as it is, you can have, I have some great friends who have amazing work on Instagram. They have like 30 followers. And then I have, I know people who have like 70 plus thousand followers. And I'm like, I don't like their work at all. You know, it's sure. like, it's just like this weird moment though, because in a way, like to your point of it validating, it means that people are interested, right? Like there's eyes, honestly, obviously on your work. So more people are looking at it. So it's like kind of this opportunity for the brand or the client to be like, Oh, that's potentially 70,000 people out to see this project that we're working on. So it's a weird, I feel like it's definitely a weird time, right? Because, you know, to your point, there are, you know, amazing designers, and as I do, that have a very low social following, and they're almost being shorted because they don't have as many as, say, like someone who has 70,000 or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a shame. And I mean, yeah, you can be like, well, what is the value of like mm-hmm. just scrolling through your Instagram and like looking at something for half a second and double tapping it and be like, like, and then you have like, you know, 30,000 people doing that to to your photos. And it's like, so what does that mean for your for artwork? Like, does that mean it's good? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily, but in the commercial realm, you do have to be realistic and be like, clients do want to we are more willing to take a chance on you if they see that other people already like you. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of goes to also being a designer or art director and trying to sell an idea. Um, a lot of clients don't want to take a lot of risks because there is a lot of money involved. And if you show a client um, uh, a reference for an ad that's you know garnered a lot of attention and awards and is popular, they're more likely to be like, yeah, let's do this, let's do this. And it's it's harder to take a risk on someone who's like work is like not as well known mm. and is different and you know fresh and you know innovative because clients are like ah, I don't know like I don't know if I want to take that kind of risk. On the on the flip side though too, I think back to kind of your point of of attracting clients, attracting you know as an art director or hiring someone, your website is kind of like the the standard, right? Those are what the kind of industry standards that people are looking at. But then on the side of like Instagram. You know, even like personal projects, when you share those things, you kind of show your personality. You show like what you're interested in genuinely. If you're if you're sharing those things, some people just share selfies, right? But like if you're sharing those projects that you're doing at your your the comfort of your home, it gives people a better idea of who you are, and that would potentially lead to being more likely hired, you totally. know, for a gig. 
how long were you freelancing before your next kind of like full-time thing? I believe I was freelancing for about a year and a half, maybe two years um, before. And I started freelancing at Vice. Um, Gabriel Tick, the art director over there, brought me in um, and I was freelancing there. And it was fun. It was like really creative work. And then one day, Matt, the executive creative director, just pulls me aside and was like, uh, do you want to work full time for us? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, sure, I guess so. Very straightforward. Yeah, man. yeah, he's super straightforward. Um, so yeah, I think it was about two years. What what year is that? Was that 2015? 2016 is around then, I think. When did the Viceland channel launch? It was 27, 2016, yeah, something like, like that. We're, it's 2019 now, which is kind of scary to think of. Oh it was, I think it was like right around one of the new years because I, I joined uh, 30 days after. So I think okay. it launched at the beginning of 2016. Okay, and so then, I was there in 2015. Okay. Because I was freelancing for them six months before they had launched the channel. Okay. So I was like developing a lot of the brand um, and a lot of the graphics, and which would go on to influence. Um, like, I remember when the channel first launched, it was like, it was cool because it was like, oh shit, like this is like the stuff that I've been working on for six months. Like, and it was a big project to be a part of. Totally. Yeah. You were working alongside um, like the branding studio Gretel that had been working with each other's teams to develop the the visual identity, the animations, things like that. It was a, and it, I remember also when I joined, it was a big moment for design. It was a big moment for cable and TV because it was like the unbranded kind of. Uh, offering from Vice, and um, it was super exciting. You know, what kind of work went into the early months of developing the channel? You know, show graphics, branding. What, what did you do? Sure. Um, so actually, I didn't really work closely with Gretel. Um, by the time they had me working on the branding and the design, I think Gretel had already created a lot of the package design. Mm-hmm. And so when I was brought in, I think a lot of them thought we're going to just make this a lot like other channels and like, or like what was going on in Netflix and, you know, create like a traditional motion graphics, title sequences. And like, that's the stuff that they brought us in to do. And so a lot of the stuff I was making, I was, it was pretty like glossy and, you know, very commercial and very typical of what you might see on like, you know, FX or Spike TV. And it's funny because as an example, I, was doing the branding for Gaycation and I'd spent about like three three months just doing the animation and design yeah, just by myself. Yeah, was a big title sequence. But it was funny because then, then they brought Spike Jones in and he took a look at like the stuff we were doing and he was like, no. This <laughs> he is, just said this no? This isn't it. Yeah. Dude, that's well, in, in, in a nice Spike Jones sure. way. Yeah, like he's such a nice guy. Was it's, it because it was more on the side of like conservative, more akin to the cable channels that had already been out yeah i think he wanted to do something a little bit more just fresh and i i mean the term raw gets sure. thrown around a lot sure. but um so what happens he says no obviously yeah he like, says no I, I would go home crying I, well it was definitely like disappointing because like everybody loved the work i was making and like the creative direction everyone was like oh this is great and i it was actually my first real design job mm-hmm. before that i was just basically making things move. I was taking things from designers and I was making it move. I wasn't actually doing the designing, but I realized that's what I wanted to get into. And so they saw that I was really pushing for that. I was really just passionate about the design of it. And so they were giving me those opportunities. And so, yeah, Spike Jones came in and he was like, yeah, no, this ain't it. And, you know, it's it's a little disheartening to hear, but at the same time, we're like, all right, a job's a job. The first thing you learn as a designer or, or just as a creative in general is never fall in love with your own work yeah. because then you have egos and then you bring in like all this shit, like, and you, you really don't, you can't have that when you're working with clients mm-hmm. and you're working with people above you. And, um, and it's, you can't just take things personal. Never right? take that's, anything. That's, I mean, that's, that's a rule for life. I yeah. never take anything personal. So you scrapped three months of work. Yeah. We scrapped all of it and they were um, like, fuck it. What happens? So we were like, okay, we'll pitch like a bunch of new directions to Spike Jones. Hopefully he'll like it. And one of the directions he ended up going with was just like this hand painted frame of like taking celluloid, 
image or celluloid film and painting over it. And originally as a creative, like I was like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we actually took real celluloids and like painted frame by frame and then have it, you know, filmed it like moving through a film reel. And in retrospect, I'm so glad we didn't do that because mm-hmm. it would have been a nightmare for like all the client revisions. <laughs> but sure, to have like physically go yeah, back, yeah, like oh one. shit, we gotta repaint this whole cellular but the, film. But that was the the kind of direction. That, that was the direction, yeah. And so he saw that and was like, "This is it. Like this is what I w- was envisioning." And so it was cool because it was like I was trying to take what I had learned as an artist, being expressive and my sense of colors and like composition and just being like really expressive and abstract. And how can you make a title sequence or something a little bit more commercial from that? And yeah, it was it was really cool. And they were like, this is great. We love these style frames. And I did a couple of motion tests and which and I was trying to make it look as real as possible mm-hmm. to actually filming celluloid. And they were like, this is cool. So we just ran with it and we it took a couple months and, you know, of like a lot of long nights and hard work. But yeah, I mean, the overall product, I think, spoke for itself and we were all pretty proud of it the the title sequence of if any listeners haven't seen it definitely google gaycation intro super awesome i think that was just about the time i was joining because i was working on like the the show posters and stuff like that um i remember you had floated me like a brush pack that you had even been using at the time yeah one it's like super crazy to just even have a moment to get feedback from spike jones and i don't mean to say that like you know he's just a super talented guy his work is amazing and yeah. as a you know, role model. I, de- I personally definitely look up to him. I'm oh, sure as a lot of here. creatives yeah. do. No, so that's amazing. awesome. But then to be able to kind of combine your background and as a painter, you know, growing up and to also bring that into a more commercial environment and put it out in the world where, you know, you're launching a cable television channel, people are going to be watching the show. Like that's got to be super gratifying. Totally. Yeah. You had been doing a lot of different show titles. You also went on to work on like the I remember Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia with the uh, cell animation. That was an awesome intro. You did, what was the one with the, the kind of textures? And it was like, uh, drawing a blank. It was, it was one of the more recent shows that they launched. It had like the pink water or pink kind oh, of like Slut-over. fabric. Slutover. Oh, yeah. Do you have a favorite that you worked on? I mean, maybe it's nostalgia, but Gaycation was definitely a favorite mm-hmm. um, because I was like, that was the heyday of you know, creativity at Vice and Viceland. Other than that, I would say the business of life title sequence was really cool. Mm -hmm. And I remember watching the web show and really loving the web show. And I was like, oh, this is like a really interesting format and concept for a show. And it was the same thing as Gaycation where they give you the brief, they give you, you know, the parameters and they tell you this is work within these you know guidelines and then you just go at it and as an artist you're like well I want to make stuff that's expressive and I want to make stuff that evokes like an emotion and I want I want to make stuff that's like just aesthetically beautiful it was a lot of like just experimentation because I think a lot of the best work comes from just fucking around and like oh, I'm sorry am I allowed to curse go for it <laughs> <laughs> yeah like messing around and just failing a lot and the first 100 things that you make are maybe like ah this isn't it you know this is kind of crappy but then you hit something and you're like you just keep pushing pixels and you're like oh what if i invert this you know what if i play with the levels on this what if i add this texture what if i push this around you know what if i push this out of the boundaries you're just trying to see what works and like see what doesn't work and at the end of that, and it's very much you get into a flow state, at least for me, like mm. you get into a flow state of doing that. And at the end of it, you come out and you're like, huh, this is half decent. <laughs> you know, because I remember for that title sequence, the first couple of designs that I'd done were terrible. Like I was like, oh man, they're going to fire me. But you have like, to go through that brain dump, right? You have to yeah. get all those ideas out yeah, because yeah, yeah. something... One, it's like exploring potential routes and potential directions, but also like to clear your head to to know that when you do find something interesting that you kind of have that moment of, oh, Eureka, and then you kind of pursue that more and and slowly just dig deeper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, totally. You definitely just have to like suffer a little bit. (laughs) So you started off in the department as kind of just a motion graphics designer, you know, working on a broad range of things, but then 
uh, eventually you guys, the team, so um, you eventually formed Vice Visual Studio that went on to do work for outside clients. What is that relationship, you know, when you're in the studio within a company, are clients coming to you and are they looking for work specifically similar to the stuff that you've been doing for the channel? Well, I think there is definitely some cachet with a client and they're coming to a design agency that they know is funded or at least related to Vice. Mm -hmm. Because we were definitely different than a lot of animation studios and design houses in the sense that, you know, we have to operate within Vice. We kind of have to operate within the politics and within the structure and infrastructure of Vice. But at the same time, we were just a group of like really hungry, talented kids who (laughs) wanted to just make cool shit. And so I think we had built up a portfolio of basically everything that you see on Viceland channel in terms of the title sequences, in-show graphics, design, and and animation. That was all just done in-house. And so by year two or three, we just had a huge portfolio of work because we just had done all that stuff in-house. And so I think we had that great portfolio and clients were seeing that and was like, yeah, we want work that's like similar to this vibe. And luckily we had uh, Matt Shane, who's a great executive creative director and also played the role of executive producer. And he was good at working with clients and, you know, bringing those clients in. And so we had everything in place as an animation studio. And so we had clients come in and we're like, yeah, we want to just be associated even if it's just in the background with Vice, you know, because Vice is such a cool name, it's a cool brand. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I guess it was just it was just a lot of good things, great opportunities all coming together. Since then, you spent, what, three years, three, four years at Vice? It was about three years, yeah. And you've moved on since to be the motion graphics designer, or director, sorry, at Elephant. What's that moment? You you have been a designer this whole time, and then you kind of get this opportunity to be a director. Was there a shift in how you presented yourself? Is there a shift in the work that you presented? Like what? I think every creative at some point deals with that imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. So Definitely. it's like when? How do you overcome that? I kind of want to pull some things out if possible. So if there's one thing I learned at Vice about art directors, the best art directors are just 100% themselves. Mm-hmm. There's no one mold for an art director or a creative director. And so you don't really know how to be an art director or a creative director until you just do it. And luckily at Vice, there were a few opportunities where I was able to play a little bit of that role. They had brought me in as like an associate art director and I was giving direction to like some freelancers and I was able to work on those pitches and like pitch in meetings and they were really good about giving me that opportunity because I voiced that I wanted to be I wanted that to be a career path for me and they wanted to see me grow because they were all good friends and so when I left there suddenly you know Elephant was like hey we need an animation director or at least a motion graphics director or motion graphics art director and I was like okay, I could do this. It's fine. Like, Put me in. Yeah, 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 it's this. fine. I'm just going to fake it till I make it. <laughs> and there was definitely a lot of like going to like clothing shops. Hmm, this looks very art director-like. Let me buy this jacket. You got to like, play the... Yeah, put on your art bit. director jacket. And then you realize a couple months in, like four or five months in, there's no mold to being an art director. You can literally come in a t-shirt and shorts and like be schlubby as long as you have are 100% like authentically yourself mm-hmm. and you have like a bit of a portfolio and a voice to back it up and you're just good at working with people or you're good at managing people and you know being somewhat of a leader to that point it's very much you know it sounds like you don't look a certain way but yeah. you have those skills and you have that experience of being in a room and being able to have a voice and also an opinion and also being able to back it up as well yeah. you know like you can't just talk the talk you have to also walk the walk and oh 100 if yeah. you have an idea and you can't go back and execute it you kind of make yourself look pretty stupid for sure you definitely need to be able to talk that language you mm-hmm. know like you can't just be like, hey, let's do this. And then you get back to your desk and you're like, oh, shit, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> exactly. You know? So 
it was fortunate that I had spent such a long time trying to understand every aspect about animation. And it kind of goes back to like my time at school where I just wanted to learn every aspect of animation and motion graphics. Not because I was like, one day I'm going to be an animation director. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just because I was fascinated by every single thing or single aspect of animation. I just wanted to know how it worked. How do you do that? And so now as a director, you're kind of like, you can draw on all that stuff. So it's like, oh, you want to do stop motion? Like, yeah, I've done stop motion before. That's not going to be a huge problem. Or you want to do cell animation? Like, yeah, like I know all these programs and like all these creatives. Honestly, it does feel a little bit of imposter syndrome because I still, a part of me wants to go back and become a designer again and work <laughs> under some really talented art directors yeah. and creative directors just to learn more about like what it means to be a really good creative director and art director. And I think at some point I am going to do that. But I was going to ask, you know, as a director, your responsibilities sort of shift, right? It's it's not so much about making all the time, right? Like as a, as a designer, as a younger designer, your percentage of what your role is, is making things. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as you kind of switch over to that, it's that percentage slowly gets less and you start to have to be into more meetings. You have to advise on and manage more people. So you kind of have that moment of, you're sort of missing the the making things because your time is taken up more like on that kind of higher level priority. Yeah, no, I was definitely scared of that happening um, because I never want to be in a position where I'm not making stuff. I like the idea of being an art director who can direct and also, you know, actually make the style boards or make the storyboards or make style frames and dictate that art direction. So I never really want to be in that position where I'm not doing that. Even if I'm directing a film or something one day, you know, with a whole cast of talent, I still want to be there, like, actually making it myself. And maybe it goes back to me, like, having a little bit of trust issues and, like, not wanting to relinquish as much control. But that still, to me, is I'm more passionate about that than I am about telling people what to do. Mm -hmm. Being a director now role, having gone through the trials and tribulations of being a young designer, working your way up the ladder, what would you say to a motion graphics designer or someone starting off graduating school this summer? You know, what would you kind of extend to them as like, as a piece of advice? Definitely personal projects because Mm -hmm. your personal projects and the work you do on the side is the work that you really want to do. Because sometimes you are doing stuff that you're not sure if you want to be doing and you're like, oh, maybe people will like this and this is what people are doing and this is what is popular now. And when you're doing stuff for yourself, you realize, oh, this is what I want to be doing. Like, this is it. you know. And if, if it's not, then you realize that too. That's great. A little bit of an anecdote. When I was freelancing, I was working at method studios and i had a lot of downtime in between projects and so they were just like paying for me to like sit in a chair and not do anything and i was just like okay i don't want to just sit here and do nothing so i actually started drawing a lot like at my at my computer because i was like i want to get better at this style of illustration and i want to get better at using these types of brushes and i was just sitting at my desk a lot just doing these illustrations and people would walk by and they'd be like oh that's cool like what is that for oh it's a personal project that's cool you get a few compliments and that feels good and it wasn't until later on when i had left there gabriel tick who I was also working with at Method Studios, he hits me up and he's like, hey, I remember you working at uh, Method Studios and you were always doing these illustrations and I feel like you were kind of wasted like <laughs> there because they had you doing like these boring Microsoft jobs. And he's like, do you want to come and do some of that stuff advice? Mm-hmm. And I was like, cool, yeah, sure, yeah, whatever. definitely like, sign me up. Yeah, and now I've that was the best career move that I've had and I w- probably wouldn't have gotten that if I wasn't doing that personal stuff like in my downtime and someone had walked by and was like, hey, that's kind of cool. You mm-hmm. know? As you have responsibilities as a director now, you're are you still working on personal projects? I'm curious, you know, when you're out of the office, what do you do to 
give yourself that break? You know, how do you kind of relinquish the responsibilities of work and clear your head? And is it personal projects still, or are you doing something completely out? Do you like to knit or something like that? <laughs> or like Netflix, you know, of course, everyone's like Netflixing. I'm actually not a huge Netflixer. Um, I'm about to cancel my account. Yeah, I don't like a lot of the shows on there. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I try a new one, I'm just like, eh, well, this isn't good. Yeah, no, I, I have a lot of personal stuff. I mean, personal hobbies, definitely, I, I try to stay fit. I've picked up rock climbing within the last six years, and it's just, it's such a great way to get out of design. And I always, I always recommend that to designers. Uh, you should definitely have a hobby that's not related to design mm. or like not related to anything creative almost, or maybe not creative, but like it shouldn't be related to your work at all. And so rock climbing is kind of that for me where... I get on the wall and you're not thinking about anything else. You're getting to that flow state and you, uh, cause you can't, you can't think about anything else. Just like, don't it, fall. Yeah, exactly. You're just thinking about like the next handhold. And if you think about anything else, you're going to fall. So to me, that's such a great hobby for me. I also love to play the ukulele. Which is <laughs> like only a handful of people have seen me play. There you go. That's <laughs> and nice. I just do that for myself because I'm like, this is really fun. And I actually discovered I kind of like to sing. But in terms of personal projects, I have a couple that I'm working on right now. And they're they're still in the works. They're still in the baby phases. And hopefully it's not one of those projects. They're not one of those projects that like you work on like for like a, a year and then you're like, ah, I give up. You just, they just fizz out or yeah, something. Yeah, because, you know, everyone has a hundred of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is, I'm, I'm working on a short film and I'm writing the script to it. And it kind of, it's, it's really fun because I'm not a writer per se. I mean, I like to write. I actually discovered I kind of like poetry. Like I was like, oh, that's cool. Like poetry, that's, it's hard. And I like script writing. And so this, that was a, this film for me is like such a great way for me to get into writing and really understand like what it means to, you know, write a story and write an arc and be a little bit more expressive take that sense of expressiveness that I am as a painter or an animator, but bring it into writing. Step away from the stuff that you're so familiar with or something. Exactly. Totally not my comfort zone. Like I'll write something and be like, okay, like this is terrible. And then like you write something and you look at it like a month later and you're like, why was I even thinking about that? That was terrible. Mm -hmm. But then you're like, you'll write like one sentence and you'll see it like a couple months later and you're like, this is it. I don't want to give it away, but um, you had mentioned that you have some plans coming up where you're going to be leaving New York and leaving Brooklyn. Could you tell, tell yeah, me about that? Yeah, so close friends already know, but I guess it's, this is putting it out there. I'm actually moving with my girlfriend to London in a couple months because I've lived in New York City all my life. And I've just, as a creative, you need to spread your wings a little bit. And I, lo- I love to travel. I travel all the time, but I've never lived anywhere else. So this is going to be like such a great opportunity for the both of us to really just experience a different culture, experience different, like, not a language, <laughs> but like, you know, dif- different city and like different vibes. And, and also not to lie, and it kind of goes to, it, I feel a little bit of imposter syndrome because Right now, what I'm doing is I'm a commercial artist working for these brands, like big, big name brands like Comcast and Apple. And I'm realizing, oh, I don't think this is exactly what I want to do. And so it's a little scary to be like, oh, I'm finally making a lot of money, but I'm not doing, I'm not like creatively happy and fulfilled Mm -hmm. at work. And so I kind of just want to get back to making short films and I want to make I'm working on a clothing label with my girlfriend right now as well which actually goes hand in hand with the film I'm writing there you go which is like a fun combination of the two combination yeah two birds on stone (laughs) because I've always like been interested in in clothing design as well but yeah I think going to London jumping back into the freelance lifestyle and pushing myself out of my comfort zone because it's completely out of my comfort zone. I think it's going to be really good for me and we'll see, you know, it's like maybe, uh, maybe it won't work out, but I, at this point I've been around the block that I know it's probably going to work out. Like things always work out. I I feel like, you know, it's always the thing to wish you good luck, but I know you're going to, 
with working with you and, and your experience and, and knowing the type of work that you do, I know you'll figure your way. So I, I of course, I still wish you the best of luck, but, Thank um, you. Appreciate that. you know, it's exciting. That's awesome. If people want to get in touch with you, if people want to check up on your work, how can they find you? So my website, it's just magnusadam.com. I, I would say my Instagram, but I deleted my Instagram and I'm just like, I'm kind of off of it, but definitely my, uh, my website. And just if, you're interested in seeing like what other work is going to be coming out it's all going to be posted to and linked on my instagram and my social media and it's at magnus.adam on instagram right yes i want to make sure you plug that you got to plug that yeah it's at magnus.atom <laughs> yeah not magnus atom that's my personal there's one a, there's a if you try to follow me i'm not gonna <laughs> it's private i'm not gonna accept magnus thank you so much for chatting with me today oh it's been a pleasure thanks john Thank you for listening to this episode of Well Fed. This podcast is produced by me, John Sarantino, out in Jersey City, New Jersey, and made possible by all the amazing people that agree to be my guest on this thing. Music and editing is done by my friend Kevin Bendis out in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. If you have any suggestions for guests that you'd like to hear from, you can go ahead and DM me on Instagram at wellfedpodcast. Feel free to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear more stories from creative leaders, entrepreneurs, and talented individuals just like yourself. Or you can go to the website wellfedpodcast.com for more episodes. Again, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode. Bye!